I just never thought that this relationship could be so magical. Like in the beginning, I thought, oh, this is great, good match. This is like what I would say to people that are worried about surrogacy is like, it may be even better than you imagine. Like having this connection with another woman during this process is really, really cool. Hi, everyone. It's Olympic figure skater and broadcaster Tara Lipinski, and you're listening to Unexpecting. I started this podcast with my husband and now co-host Todd to bear it all about my untold five-year and often excruciating journey with infertility. The goal is simple, to take this taboo subject and demystify it, to normalize these important conversations, and hopefully to find answers. Nothing is off limits, and over the course of the series, we'll unpack my fertility mystery, the trauma we've endured, and hopefully offer those struggling alongside of us some valuable insight. So laugh and cry with us as we ride this unimaginable fertility roller coaster, hopefully toward a brighter day. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And if you know someone struggling with fertility, tell them about this podcast. Because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost. Hi, everyone. I'm Tara Lipinski. And this is Todd Kapasashi. And you're listening to the 13th episode of Unexpecting. On the last episode of Unexpecting, we left on pretty big cliffhanger, maybe the biggest cliffhanger of the series, honestly, of this <laughs> the, podcast. The cliffhanger of our, of our life. Our life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because cliffhanger of my life, I don't know about yeah, you. Well, I don't know. You're waiting for your scores at the Olympics. That's quite the cliffhanger. No, this was way worse. This was like w- <laughs> much higher stakes. Yeah. But, you know, now that I think about it, it's kind of like that, you know, like while they're setting up, while you're waiting to see if there's a heartbeat, it's like when you're sitting in the kiss and cry, staring up at the monitor, just waiting for the judges numbers to flash on there. Just that, you know, couple seconds, minutes of just pure, you know, terror. (laughs) Well, as everyone knows, or skating fans know, you let out a pretty alarming (laughs) shriek after that. Embarrassing shriek. (laughs) So I don't know if this heartbeat scan goes well, may have to pull it out again. I don't think I could ever pull that out again. It was so, I mean, I look. Teenage jubilance, you know, it's hard to go back to that. I mean, what's funny is I was so in the moment that like, I can't even be that embarrassed by it because, you know, it was just. I definitely don't think you should be embarrassed. I mean, it was a shriek, Todd. (laughs) I mean, you were 15 and winning the Olympics. So yeah. I think it's, you get a pass, I think. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so like I said, last episode, we left off on this cliffhanger with the heartbeat scan. And this was obviously a difficult scan for us because we had never gotten past this point. Um, and, you know, now with our surrogate, we were just hoping that she could finally take us across this important landmark. And, you know, her numbers had been doubling, but so did ours. Right. Um, the, the real test was the heartbeat scan. And I think that was sort of for me, you know, getting the good news that she was pregnant, obviously. And and I preface this all with like, both of us were just so grateful that at least we were in the game and things looked okay. But it really was difficult to believe that anything would be different after doing the same thing on repeat for four years and going into a heartbeat scan with no heartbeat. Yeah. And it would almost be confirmation a little bit of like, oh, the immune issue was like really at play here. If the same thing, same sort of embryos we had made many failures with you, you know, at that scan. And then, you know, hopefully the surrogate Michaela could 
Make it work. Make it work. (laughs) So just take me through that heartbeat scan. So like I said, just leading up to it, I think, you know, the pressure was building in me every single day because it's, you know, a little bit of a wait. There's a few weeks where you're waiting for the scan. And, you know, we didn't tell many people that the surrogate was pregnant, but obviously our very inner circle knew. And I feel like everyone was so relieved. They just like, were like, see, like it worked in a surrogate. All your fears are over. Like, congratulations. This is so exciting. Are you like planning, you know, the, you, you know, the baby shower pretty much, you know, and it's like, whoa, 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 slow down. Because like, to me, I couldn't even really admit that she was pregnant yet which is crazy to say until we got past this heartbeat Yeah, but that made sense. I didn't either. I mean, it was like, yeah, she's obviously technically pregnant, but we had been that kind of pregnant many times. Times. So So it just, to me, it was not real yet. So, you know, going into that scan, I, I mean, I'm sure you remember, I just, I mean, even now I just can like feel myself like breathing heavy because- The night before I did not sleep, I would have these crazy nightmares. And I think it was just obviously when my anxiety peaked, lucky me. But, you know, I would just wake up from these dreams. Some of them I would remember, some of them I wouldn't. But it was just always around like these medical appointments or scans or getting bad news. It was all about getting bad news and like having to live it, which was just like, I could almost feel it happening. So I'd wake up in the mornings just like, so rattled. And I just remember I didn't sleep the night before the scan. And it was one of those things where, I mean, I woke up and just like silently, just like kind of crying because I was so full of all types of emotion and same sort of thing going into my closet. I don't know if you remember, I put on like 17 different outfits. Like I was like, I don't know what, what, lucky outfit to wear. You know, it was like, I I put on 17. I'm like, I don't know what the lucky one is. I was just like overwhelmed with emotion. What was really different about this heartbeat scan too, that's important to point out is that as we mentioned, the surrogate was in a different state. So it wasn't like we were getting up in the morning and together and like going to the office and like this thing that we knew how to do and that we had done a bunch of times, we weren't doing that. We were basically waking up to get a phone call, like a FaceTime from the surrogate at her doctor in a different state. So for you, was that less or more worrisome and traumatizing or anxiety inducing? Yeah, I think for me, it was, thank goodness, easier that it wasn't me in that room getting scanned. Like I I, I reached a certain point. I just don't think I could go back into a room and get scanned again at a heartbeat scan and, and be a sane person. Um, so I was very grateful that it wasn't me in that moment. But Michaela and I had a plan and the plan was that she was not going to FaceTime me or call me before there was an actual heartbeat because there was just no way that my my heart could have taken it. I didn't want to be on the phone while she's preparing or getting in the room or I'm seeing the initial part of the scan. Like, didn't care, didn't want to know about that, just wanted to know if there was a heartbeat. So what what I told her to do is if there's a heartbeat to FaceTime me, and if there is no heartbeat, to just please call us. Which is actually kind of weird for you that you decided to do that. Because it is like, you know, one way or the other, you're going to kind of miss the moment, which I would have thought no matter what, you still would have wanted to no. 
kind of hear that. I know. See that. Like not, I don't know how to explain to you that sort of like the PTSD or, you know, the quote unquote pregnancy, even though I wasn't actually pregnant, pregnancy after loss, what that really does to your mind. But like, I didn't, I didn't care about this magical appointment. Like there was one thing on my mind and that was just a heartbeat. And I just know that like my heart <laughs> couldn't have taken it if I had to watch it again. So we're essentially, you guys had worked this out. We're, you know, the time where she's supposed to go in, essentially just like both with just dead eyes staring at your phone, basically praying that we see a FaceTime. Because FaceTime, yeah. if it's a call, then there's no heartbeat. Then there's right? no heartbeat. So I almost set it up where I, I mean, remember I was just like terrified that if I didn't see the FaceTime screen pop up, that it was over. So just take me through getting, you know, a call or a FaceTime. So we were in the kitchen. I remember we were just like, I was like pacing, you know, I love to pace when yeah. I'm nervous. I think I probably said like, Tara, just stop, stop, stop pacing. just stop pacing. <laughs> so unnerving. I was like I, making me so nervous, just like back and forth, back and forth. This has happened though throughout the, the entire journey, the pacing. Like if my coach Megan is listening, she's going to laugh because as a skater, that's all I did was just pace, pace, pace. And like, I can't stop it. So um, I was pacing around the kitchen and you were standing still. <laughs> and then... Um, kind of our fertility journey in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And um, and then a FaceTime call popped up on our screen. FaceTime. FaceTime. And it was just so surreal. Like it couldn't have been happening to us. Like this is not, we don't get this news. Like this doesn't happen to us. And it was like, I almost didn't believe it. And, you know, obviously all I remember, you probably have more of a memory. Like I was just sobbing, but like that ugly sobbing of just like years of all of this trauma, like pouring out of my eyes. We were doing just, two very different things. You were bawling your eyes out, and we were since we we're in the kitchen. I was doing laps around our <laughs> like kitchen victory, island, victory laps. Yeah, going, it was like Yay! the touchdown celebration, <laughs> going nuts. But the thing I actually remember, like so, so, so vividly, that was so strange. Like thinking back, or it was strange in the moment, honestly, was the doctor, like, was so nonchalant and not not in a bad way at all. And like every way. other appointment he had that day, probably he was like, "Oh, there's the heartbeat," and like that. It was also normal, and like. He wasn't like celebrating because he yeah. didn't know, like, you know, of course he knew obviously the story, right. but like he didn't know what we went through. It just felt like also easy and normal. And it was like, he shrugged and he's like measuring things. He's like, oh, it's all measuring right. It's like, it wait, what? Fantastic. It's like fine? <laughs> what do you mean it's all fine? Yeah, what, like I couldn't understand. That was another thing that was very interesting for me. It was like, I almost did not accept good news. Like I, I, what, like I, I didn't even know what to say sometimes. I was almost like just quiet. And I, I, because what do you mean it's good news? Like I would just be waiting for him to say something and then he would never say something. And I'd be like, is that the end of the appointment? Like everything's Kinda okay. Was. <laughs> and then I would walk around and like, I remember after the heartbeat scan, I kind of walked around just sort of like in a daze where I, I didn't recognize that it was still real. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like the Olympics when you win and then like, there's just like, I believed it. Like I almost didn't believe it. It was just like, I sat there stunned for hours, just thinking like, did is this real? Is this actually happening? 
And then I just remember too, like Michaela, like, cause we were on FaceTime and like just seeing her, like I, I couldn't really tell, but it seemed like, she, you know, she was a little bit emotional because I'm sure it's a lot of pressure too. Like she gets, she was these, probably she, very relieved. She was very relieved. These that, two nut jobs, like <laughs> staring at the phone and do it like, <laughs> Oh my God. So it's just, it was just one of those moments where, you know, I guess at the end of the day, you know, and I'm sure there's people listening now that are in the, the trenches of infertility and wondering like, wow, like how does that happen? Like, believe me, I get you because I like couldn't understand how that was happening because we were always the people that watched everyone else sort of move on into a different phase where it eventually worked. And it just never, it, it never did for us before this moment. So what is the emotion then in that moment? If you can kind of describe it. I guess I don't know how to describe it other than just pure relief. And obviously happiness and, you know, thinking that maybe our lives are going to finally change and we're not going to be in the same awful hamster wheel anymore. Yeah, it was like the cycle had changed finally, which it, was such a great feeling. Right, because like, if you look at our story too, like I said, there was never a lot of variation. It was the same thing over and over again in the same ways, which I think like, I'm so interested in like how that has affected me and the trauma I experienced because it really was like, you were waking up and like reliving. It was like a movie, like deja vu over and over again to like drive someone insane. And everyone was like, oh, she's pregnant. Everything's good. And for me, that heartbeat scan finally put us on the normal playing field with everyone else. Like before that, we just had so much bad luck that we we couldn't even be on the regular playing field with every other pregnant person in the world. And I just felt like, we won a competition. Like we now have made it to, we have now made it to the next level of the game. <laughs> yeah. Well, it also was like, for me, this relief that like I had prepared myself the night before and the days leading up to it of like, okay, like in some universe and in, in an alternate universe, like there was no heartbeat and it would be the same thing where I'd sit on the couch with you and you'd be in shock and upset and anxious and like we're never having kids and we'd have to like, there would be another life that would like branch off. Right. And the fact that we like branched off into this like other life that like we hadn't experienced yet was like, it was just so nice. Yeah, it was just a change of scenery that we needed after five years. Yeah. I know this sounds so corny, but we had actually, you know, regardless of what results we got, we were planning on, or I had sort of planned to take you to just like Malibu, like a little staycation um, to either celebrate or to just kind of regroup. Um, and I just remember that night. I mean, again, this sounds like so, so corny, but we're like on the deck of this house looking at the Pacific Ocean and like the sun setting. And we're like, we're pregnant with a kid like after the heartbeat scan. It just felt like this like amazing end of a, it's not the end obviously, yeah. but like in a way it felt like this like crazy, almost cliche end of a movie where, the sun was finally setting yeah. on our horrific fertility journey. I think what was special about that night, obviously the focus is that the baby had a heartbeat, but I think there was like something for us in that moment. Like we didn't really talk about it. We, I mean, we talked about like the amazingness of, of the appointment and oh my goodness, we're here, but we never really talked about like the five years or what we've been through. But I feel like we both, like you said, we're like staring out into the sunset sort of like, 
realizing what we went through to get to this moment and that maybe there was, you know, a rainbow and sunshine after the storm. And I think like I felt very close to you and very connected to you of just like, I'm sure it's like anything, you know, people that go through a shared experience just feel this like intense bond that unless you go through it, you can't really explain it to anyone else. And I don't know, I just remember sitting outside, you know, looking out and and feeling really close to you. Yeah, and I think... What's weird, you know, as you were sitting there talking and like it it was that night did sort of feel like it was about us. You know, if we're being vulnerable, I do think weirdly in IVF journeys, there is, and I don't want to put this in the wrong way, but there is sort of like a little bit of a selfishness that like, that sort of develops where, you know, the the fact of the matter is we're out there looking at the sunset and to if I'm being super, super honest... I was just happy that like my life wasn't going to be what it was. I was glad that you were going to finally be right. happy every morning when you woke up that I wouldn't look over at 3 a.m. and you'd be like frantically on your phone or just yeah. up or just stressed. And like, you know, again, it's like, I think I talked about it on a previous episode, like, do I really, is it that I really want this kid so bad or is it that um, I want the journey to just be over? And it's right. both obviously, right. but you know. It's the same, I can ask the same question about that moment. As we were in Malibu, was I just so happy that finally, of course I wanted a child. Right. Of course I'm like, you know, 40 years old, 39 or whatever. Like I'm I'm excited for this next journey, but was I just more happy in that moment that, oh my God, Tara and I together, me and right. you got through this. And there right. was a little bit of a selfishness to that because like when you bring a kid in the world, it should be the most selfless thing, but IVF does do that to you. I mean, I think that's why there's many different, you know, avenues people take after going through IVF because, you know, the majority of people go through IVF and within two treatments, you know, that's sort of the average, it works. And, you know, it sucks that they had to go through IVF in the first place or do too, but at the end of the day, they kind of like move through that process quickly. But for for people that don't like us, I think that it really plays games with your mind. And I think that's why some people and people that don't, you know, I, I feel like people that haven't gone through infertility may not understand this as well, but there are people that go through this and and they just want their life back. And they're like, it's not worth it for the two of us to have a child. Like we are going to be very happy without a kid. And, you know, we had these thoughts a lot and we were, you know, I think everybody, you know, you just sort of prepare yourself for all the different outcomes, but also like how much longer would we have done this before we were like, we've got to stop and just live life. And I mean, I had this burning desire for a child all of a sudden in a different way than, of course, like I talked about previously on these episodes, like I always knew I wanted children, but it wasn't like I was that person that like, I need to have a child right now. But going through this, like going through that first miscarriage, like it was like a burning desire for a child. Like, and that urge never left me, which is why I kept going. So, you know, if eventually it got to the point where I didn't feel that, then I would have stopped. One of the big benefits too of, the heartbeat scan and and just being so excited about everything um, and getting through over that hump was finally getting to tell like our parents and like very close friends that, you know, we kind of think we're through this like massive hurdle because 
as we talked about in the podcast, it is, it just gets depressing, like calling my parents and being like, yeah, another loss or a bad retrieval or the transfer didn't work. And, you know, four and a half years of just repeating that just like yes. gets old. And to finally be like, yes, it like worked or there's a heartbeat. It was like so awesome. It was so awesome to hear also a different response. Cause I just feel like I heard so many people that were close to us take these phone calls where we told them the bad news time after time after time. And they would have the same sort of tone and answer and supportive, like, oh my goodness. And like not knowing how to respond. Like people know how to respond to good news, yeah, not bad yeah. news. And so, but I like was so, it was so refreshing to hear the the excited good news tone and just like, <laughs> I don't know, shake it up from all of those <laughs> phone calls where it was just so depressing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously we were telling close family members and close friends. But, you know, just because we were past this heartbeat scan doesn't mean it was like, oh, tell everyone, tell like, you know, the guy at Starbucks that were like expecting a baby. I think there was still some PTSD from the losses that kept you a little bit isolated on everything and not happy-go-lucky about the pregnancy. You were still worried about the pregnancy. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is what I talked a little bit about in the last episode where I was like, I don't know if I personally want to be pregnant anymore after all that I have experienced, like the magic was gone. And this pregnancy obviously was not happening to me, but it wasn't, again, it's like what I thought it was going to be. It, it was, I want a healthy child, but the pregnancy portion is not that romanticized vision that I had in my head years ago when I started IVF. Like, this was a means to the end and it was really hard, you know, after the heartbeat scan to just completely relax. Look, I will say I am a rational person and this was the first time we got a heartbeat. So I replayed that thought in my head on repeat just to give me a little reassurance and confidence and, you know, to give myself some rational advice because we have made it past a big milestone. Oh, finally, you're listening to rational <laughs> advice after four and a half years. Well, That's what I was saying to you for you, four years. But that was not rational advice. Like this actually <laughs> was like, <laughs> this was fact. And um, I was able to hold on to that. And it was, it was something that helped me. But, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I hear a lot of it when I, you know, on my Instagram, my fake Instagram and watching people go through pregnancy after loss, there is just this anxiety around scans, doctor's appointments, constantly worrying what could be going wrong, what could happen. And also seeing stories. It's sort of what we talked about before when you get pregnant and you're naive and you really don't know all the things that can go wrong. Like ignorance is bliss in that moment. But I've seen too many stories. I've heard too many stories. And just because we went through IVF for five years and it was hell, didn't exclude us from something else horrible happening. And I watch it every day on Instagram and in this infertility community. So it was just, you know, every day waiting for the other shoe to drop. Well, an important conversation in question too is once we did start telling, you know, obviously again, family and friends and they had a they were clued in way more on our journey. But even when you maybe started to tell people who weren't as close, did you have a hard time like telling them we had a surrogate? Was that like a tough thing for you to, you know, admit to somebody or kind of 
go through the story of like, okay, this is what we happen. This is what happened. We think it might be an immune issue, and then so we got a surrogate. But it's our embryo. Like that big explanation process. Has There's to always happen. like an ex- explanation that has to go along with it, especially if I'm like drinking a glass of wine while I'm telling the story. So, you know, I, I'm pretty used to now explaining, you know, our journey and and where we got to. So it was never strange for me, except. I really and still do struggle to say our surrogate's pregnant and we're having a baby. Like it like literally like my heart feels like it stops or I feel like it's a bad luck or it's a superstition. Like I, I can't say oh, you mean, that. So you're more worried about like it, it might not, it still, it still might, might not, not work. work versus- and then like, then I'd have to tell them and then it, you know, so like, and then I'd have to live with those feelings inside of like, I just told someone that, we're pregnant, but it, it may not be, you know, a successful thing. Like that's where all my anxiety is. And that's why like week to week scan and not thinking about <laughs> the pregnancy itself. But early on in the pregnancy then, so you didn't really have any reservations or there wasn't any embarrassments, the wrong word, obviously, but anything with the surrogate of like, oh, I, I don't want to admit that like we kind of had to go this route and like... You know, we talk about the the annoying sort of things in in life and in society about you're not a woman unless you can carry like all that bullshit about what, what a woman is. Like you're not a woman unless you like procreate all that. Like did that, that was just gone because of the journey, right? It literally was just so gone. And I feel like that's the craziest thing. Because if you, you talk to me about surrogacy four years ago, I would have felt like, oh my God, if I do surrogacy, I'm going to feel like, you know, I didn't win or that, you know, I'm going to always wish it was me and I'm going to feel all these feelings. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, you see it. I I don't know what happened, but it completely flipped for me. And I'm now on the opposite end of the scale. <laughs> yeah. I do wonder, I, I'm curious because I am getting one experience with someone who went through a journey and then used a surrogate. I do wonder in, in the community if like other women and couples struggle more with like that feeling because there is a stigma like we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast but there is still a stigma of why people do surrogacy and what it means and right. having to explain people like there's no nothing wrong with obviously donor eggs but like you do want to kind of tell people like oh we didn't have to go that route this is our embryo and right. like you don't want to do that because then you're like oh am I belittling like there's nothing wrong with donor eggs why do I feel this like weird egotistical thing that I need to like express well, well I think because it's our story and I think that's okay too I mean look I mean I feel like throughout this podcast we've tried to really be so aware of every different infertility situation there is because we know how it feels to be in these positions but at the end of the day it really is you know everyone's story is so unique because it's their own. You can't change their ending. You can't change that they make their own embryos or they don't make their own embryos. So I think, you know, for you and for me, that is part of our journey. And when we are telling people that we're pregnant with a surrogate, we do tell them that it's our own genetic biological embryo that she's carrying for us because it's the truth. But yeah, I mean, speaking of the, some of the judgment, I think, and stigma, around surrogacy. I mean, I think a lot of people assume, or maybe it's a reality for some women and couples, but there is this like loss of connection. Like, oh, am I going to feel connected to this child because someone else is carrying it? I mean, did you worry about that? Or is that a stigma that you recognized? Oh, well, in the beginning, I definitely worried about that. And I worried about that, you know, years ago 
which is probably, you know, if I didn't worry about that day one, I would have been like, well, you know, if we can get a surrogate and it's not working in me, let's do it. So I did worry about all of those things. But I think like that conversation has to change too, because you hear people constantly connect surrogacy with like lack of connection or foreign or all of these words that, you know, unless you do it, I I don't know if you truly can speak on that. You know, you may have carried your own child and feel that connection and think I can never do it another way, but then maybe try a surrogacy and see if you still feel that way after. Because now all of these past moments are making sense for me. When the woman and I talked who who went through years of infertility and did a surrogate and I was so annoyed at her because I was like, stop telling me just to do a surrogate and act like it's the best thing you've ever done. And it's so silly that I'm waiting this long. And, you know, I, I, I just was so like angry in that moment. And now I'm like, oh my God. She was right. Yeah. You are so right. Like, I know exactly what you feel. And I even remember some of the things she said of like, wait till you just do, like, I promise just do. She was just like, just do it. Just promise me. And I was like, lady, like, what are you talking? And now, like, I understand because when you go through the process, you know, it's it's definitely not what I thought. Well, there's an argument to be made that I think you'll agree with, I think. But there is an argument to be made and it seems kind of silly, but- there's like a deep irony that if you get pregnant, let's say at 28 years old and you get pregnant on the first try and you look at your pregnancy stick and it's pregnant and you throw it out and you, you know, go through your nine mm-hmm. months of pregnancy, like you're obviously going to be connected to your child. It's right. like growing inside of you, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You're excited to be a yeah. parent. So it's right in front of you. Yeah. There's a connection there, obviously, but there's definitely an argument to be made that like the connection that you feel to this thing growing somewhere. Yes, it's in a different state, but like the love and sort of like connection that you feel is so much and the appreciation is so much larger than that other pregnant. And again, we're not trying to say one's more important and there's a bigger connection for one to the other, but like most people would think there's less of a connection with a surrogate. And I would just, I would argue that there could be more. more. Like that's how I feel because like, I'll be honest with you. Like I said, I feel like my maternal instinct of wanting children and going through this process kicked in much later in life. So I truly believe if we never had a problem, we got pregnant the first time and I went through this process, just my outlook, the quote unquote connection, the understanding, the awareness of the freaking miracle this is would have been so different. Like it does not matter. I mean, this baby could be, you know, halfway across the world I think about this baby every single second moment. It It is just so big in my life of, it just occupies like every part of my mind, body, soul, physical reaction, emotional reaction, psychological reactions throughout my day that I don't know how to explain it, but you did a very good job of it. Of it just like after everything we've been through, the appreciation, the gratitude, and then you know, the worry, anxiety and joy that this could actually be happening is so fulfilling. But I do think that, you know, especially this year, if you're a Kardashian fan and watched the show, I feel like that sparked a lot of conversation. There were articles about, you know, Chloe talking about not feeling a connection 
to her baby because she used a surrogate for her second child. And I feel like a few people have asked me along the way of, oh, you know, I I watched Chloe and everything she talked about with her connection with her baby and the surrogate. Like, does that worry you? Like, I, I don't know how I could kind of do that. And, you know, I think it's just interesting because obviously everyone can have their own experience and that was her experience. And you hear so few stories about surrogacy and what they're like. And I think that, you know, Khloe Kardashian is a huge celebrity who's speaking out on it. So, you know, I would just remind people though that are on this journey to realize that, you know, who knows, was she going through other things that could have affected why she didn't have a connection to this pregnancy or to this child. And there are many, many journeys and we're on one of them where I couldn't feel more connected. Like maybe I even feel (laughs) more connected because it's not in my body and I'm not sitting here in constant anxiety, you know, trying to measure every little thing that's happening in my body where I can actually relax into the idea and the, you know, emotional part of preparing for a baby. Yeah, and I think the connection that you built with the baby was obviously facilitated by a really great relationship you started to build with the surrogate, Michaela. Just talk about like how that developed and how important that was for you to have. So I think it was just a match made in heaven. And I think it's it's really sweet. She has always been so aware of our journey, so kind and thoughtful and always trying to find ways to put me at ease. She even says that she's like, I just always, you know, if there's anything else I can tell you or we can talk about or I can do just to, you know, make you feel comfortable. And I remember she was like chatting with me once, which I thought was really cute. Like her whole family's in on it. You know, her husband will be like, did you tell Tara like everything's okay? And did you, you know, and the, you know, her kids are like, oh, mom, did you tell Tara that like, tell her it's all, you know what I mean? They're all so concerned that we're comfortable on this journey with her. And I, I think that's why for me, it just really works. I think she knows that I'm nervous and she's been able to um, really give me reassurance and make the journey as good as it can be, especially for someone who's been through a lot of trauma. Yeah, and I think one of the important things too that you guys started talking every day and just being connected. And then I think what Michaela did that was so awesome was you know, like you said, she's trying to put you at ease, but she would also make sure that you were like, oh, like the baby kicked today or, oh, let me, here's some pictures of my belly. Or, I mean, she kind of like did a lot of things I think that were important to have us both feel like we were a part of it. Cause that's, that was my biggest concern. Is it, do I, am I going to feel like I'm just not a part of this thing where it's happening somewhere else? I'm in Los Angeles kind of doing my job and like forgetting that I'm having a baby. Right. But like she, she took steps, I think, to make sure that didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, and this is not the case for everyone, but Michaela and I speak every single day. We've now become close friends and we've created this beautiful connection that I just didn't expect going into this. I thought when we met her, like, oh, this is going to be a great match, but I didn't expect that. I would care so much for this person in almost like as if she's family. And it feels like that. I mean, she's carrying our child and she feels like family to me. And we we are now at this point, you know, like we always say, we, we do anything for each other. And, you know, every day we 
we talk in the beginning when she was nauseous. You know, we'd laugh because like no one wants to be nauseous. So I'd be like, I'm so sorry, but I need to ask you, are you nauseous today? And she's like, don't be sorry because I'm glad I'm nauseous too, which means it's working. But yes, I'm nauseous. Like to sort of like ease my mind that things were still progressing. And because- Yeah, I mean, you're laughing at that, but that's a that's PTSD from this whole thing. Like you would, I remember every day even tell me like- yeah. Can I text her for a third time if she's like still <laughs> nauseous? But you know, well, I didn't we, we text laugh. her three times a day. No, but. I know, but you know, we're laughing. But that was like a real concern of like, oh my god, we're we're we don't have control over this. We don't know from moment to moment how she feels or if the baby's kicking or does right. she feel pregnant still? So right, and I think that was for me like thank God it wasn't happening to me because that's what I did throughout every single day was oh my God, I feel less nauseous now. I feel a little more nauseous now. Oh, because I feel less nauseous now, is it over? Whereas like there was, I think that's where surrogacy really helped me on this journey to get through, you know, all of these months and we're still in it. But it's like, I didn't have to, you know, symptom check every second, which was going to drive me insane. I just was able to ask her, you know, once every few days, you know, how she's feeling. But then again, there's always, you know, so much more anxiety that goes along with it, right? And then when the nausea ended after, you know, she got into the second trimester, then it's like, then there's this period of time where you have no idea how to symptom check, you know, because the baby's not kicking yet. Um, It's just, you know, it's obviously a process, but it's just been so nice to be on the journey with someone who cares, you know, who checks in and is like, hey, what kind of food? And like, is this good or is that good? Or what would you like? Like, it was just so, it was everything that I worried about in the beginning, the control that I felt like I wasn't going to have, the trust that I thought was going to be hard to find, all of that just worked. But I also wanted her to be comfortable. So I feel like it was this really beautiful you know, relationship where, yes, in my mind, I had a worry and I'd be like, hey, how are you feeling today? Like, let me know. But at the same time, making sure she was never nervous, making sure she never felt my anxiety, making sure she was, you know, as comfortable as she could be and relaxed and enjoying the process as much as she could be as well. So I just think it was like interesting to to see how I, I think we both took care of each other during this time. Yeah, but you were pretty much just worried for the scans Scans. and you would get (laughs) legitimately worried for those scans and that was the PTSD popping up. Yeah, and I think that's that's exactly it, Todd. I feel like it was like the pregnancy part of it and the in-between and the days, those were kind of fun. And it was like talking with Michaela. It was the preparing for any type of doctor appointment and scan. And like, this is off topic, but something's happened to me from that. Like- to get even my normal annual scans this year. Like, do you remember that? Like I would make the appointment, then cancel the appointment, make the appointment, then cancel the appointment. Like I didn't want to go to a doctor. Like I'm terrified of like bad news and doctors. Yeah, and that just speaks to the whole point that we keep driving home and that you keep making is that, yeah, I I somewhat mourned being pregnant, but I couldn't have been pregnant probably. I would have been like (laughs) a nervous wreck. It wouldn't have been fun. Like everything I thought pregnancy was, was not that That. anymore. And so to have a surrogate, especially as awesome and empathetic as Michaela, like this was the situation for us that worked. It really was. It really, that's it. You, you said it perfectly. And now a quick word from our sponsors. 
Infertility can often feel like a secret second job. The appointments, the meds, the heartbreak, it's a lot to manage and often without the support you need, which is why anything that can simplify the process is a win in my books. It's why I love Bird and Bee's prenatal supplements. Not only are they doctor formulated and contain important extras that many other brands skip, they're all about convenience. Their daily packets contain all the vitamins you need to support egg quality, and they've got one for the guys in their sperm too. So you can ditch all the bottles cluttering your counter for one easy packet at half the cost of buying all of those bottles. Plus, you'll remember to take them. Bird and Bee knows that the journey is hard enough. Let them help to make your supplement routine a bit easier. Head to birdandbee.com to get 15% off your first order with code UNEXPECTING15. First Response is fervently committed to supporting, sharing, and empowering all pregnancy journeys and provide accurate information, especially to those struggling with infertility, loss of a baby, and maternal health inequities. First Response knows that when testing for pregnancy, you want to be sure of your result. That's why they created Comfort Check, a pregnancy test kit that helps you test confidently and conveniently. The First Response Comfort Check Pregnancy Test Kit is a value pack containing eight total tests, three First Response Early Result Tests, and five First Response Pregnancy Test Strips, allowing women to test early and often for added reassurance. First Response's Early Result Test included in the Comfort Check Kit is their number one best-selling pregnancy test. It detects all major forms of the pregnancy hormone commonly found in urine and is over 99% accurate from the day of your expected period with results ready to be read in just three minutes. The First Response Comfort Check Pregnancy Test Kit is available for purchase in-store and online. Be sure to pick one up today. Like everything else in life, it can uh, surrogacy can come in so many different forms, like you said, and I think we got... So lucky with Michaela. We went through a very specific journey that you had expectations of how you wanted to go. You had PTSD from, you know, the appointments. So you were stressed about the appointments. I just think we had a very specific set of, you know, circumstances that led to the relationship that you had. So I think, you know, even looking at Michaela, and I don't think she'd be upset if we said this, like her other surrogacies were transactional. Right. They were international. The people essentially like showed up at the hot, like I, she made it seem sort of like there was very little, little contact, contact, a different language. So right. they came to the hospital and like handed the baby over. And that was a certain way that it went. And that's f- totally fine. Right. I think we had a different one. And maybe even those like added to the fact that like she wanted a relationship with Yeah. And I think like you. I'd say that anyone who's going through this is like really think about that when you're matching with someone. Obviously, at the end of the day, get a baby here and get a healthy baby here. And that's all that matters, you know, but if you, you have the benefit of, of finding someone that has a similar outlook on how you want this journey to go, it's really important because like she said it right from the start, she repeated it many times. Like I am in this because I want a connection through this journey and I want you know, communication and I want to build a relationship. So, but it's also worth pointing out, honestly, like, I don't know, I I shouldn't say like annoying, like celebrity names, but like people talk about like Paris Hilton kind of just like seemingly didn't really want to be pregnant and got a surrogate. That's actually totally fine. If she wants to do that, whatever she wants to do, probably a lot of people too, maybe who even go through surrogacy journeys and are so scared. Maybe they have more PTSD than you did and are like, 
I just want to pretend someone's not pregnant and then like hand me the baby. Right. That's okay That's as okay well. That's okay too. So, if you don't want any communication, because I yeah. can see that as well, because like- look We're how feeling it, weird about having a relationship right. even. I bet there's people who, you know, wanted to be pregnant so badly and then maybe are upset that they couldn't right. and then they have the surrogate and they don't want to talk to them because they're angry. Like, right. I don't, who Yeah, it just like, we've really been through it all and have seen every side of infertility that I feel like I have so much compassion for like every person out there. Like- Whatever the fuck you want to do, you just do because whatever makes you feel good, that's how you should do it. And I feel like it's also interesting. It's like we're talking about um, our journey and sharing openly about our journey. And I feel like people will, you know, be like, oh, that's so great that you're able to like lay it all out there. But I also feel like I should say like, it's okay not to. And I talked about that in the beginning of how like for five years, like I wasn't in an emotional place, mental place to do that. And even now I'm a little scared. We're doing it through the last year when we didn't have a surrogate pregnant and now we're doing it while we have a surrogate pregnant. And, you know, I still feel scared and I just want, you know, obviously we talk about wanting the conversation to be about infertility and miscarriage to be decent destigmatized and not this taboo subject. But I don't think that like women need to feel the urge to like tell everyone if they're not comfortable doing so. And I think that's also why at certain points in our journey, we didn't tell friends. We didn't tell, I didn't tell the public. It's just like, like you have to be ready to share. And maybe you're never ready and that that's okay too. And if you are, then it's great. I think why I think why I really wanted to do this podcast is for, of course, the people in the trenches, but also for the people that have gone through this experience and maybe they're years out of it or even people that like, truthfully, I really want to do it for the people that don't understand infertility or have never been through it. You know, I think it's just for me validating and having other couples and women, their feelings heard, seen, understood that, oh, when I felt like that with a loss or when I had this feeling or I seemed crazy to my husband, like I want them to know that all of that was okay, is okay. And like, I feel like that's one of the main reasons I wanted to really talk this openly about things. So the next big kind of landmark to worry about is the 20 week scan. Can you just explain what that is and why you were kind of scared of that? Yeah. Well, the 20 week scan is the the anatomy scan, that that big scan where they kind of check every body part and make sure that the baby is looking good and that they don't see any major concerns or issues. So the 20-week scan was, you know, one I thought about for a while. So we do get to the 20-week scan, which you were pretty stressed about, um, which is the anatomy scan. And it went well, right? Yeah. it, it, it Another went, instance of like... What? Being nervous and then, oh, it's measuring like 50%, like kind of perfect. What? I mean, it just is so strange. I mean, the, the interesting thing I remember about the anatomy scan is like I... We had brought Michaela to Los Angeles to our doctor, you know, to go to the scan with her. 
And, you know, so many friends and people that have been pregnant were like, oh my God, this is the best part of the, you know, the best part of the pregnancy, the best scan. Yeah, you get like the images. You get that the 3D images yeah. and like, you know, it was really hard for me to have those conversations and, and so silly, but like, and I felt bad because in my mind I was like, okay, yeah. Like I didn't want to go. Like I truly was thinking of ways to get out of going to the scan, which makes zero sense, but I did not want to go. And I like, I remember just what excuse could I come up with? And like, she can just call me and tell me everything's okay. Like, I don't want to go. That's how terrified of these appointments I, I, I was. And then like, we walk in and we sit down and we're at a high risk OB, you know, the same doctor that saw me um, throughout my pregnancy. So I have like a lot of emotions being back in the same office and just, you know, remembering how things would go. And, you know, I don't really like to look at the monitors anymore because it's like upsetting to me. So I just stare at the doctor's face like that's, and I can like, I like just stare to see if I can read any type of emotion. And, you know, as we were going, I saw like, you know, I don't know, like a wrinkle in his eyebrow at one point. And I was like, what, what is everything okay, Dr. Platt? Everything okay? And he's like, yeah, one second. And I was like, oh my God, like I, what is happening here? Like he's saying, like, I'm picking up all these things. And he's like, he kind of like laughed. He's like, oh, it's, it's all good. I thought I saw a small hole in the heart, but you know, it's not, it's, you know, I, I just kind of looked at it and it, and it's not. And I was like, oh my God, like, you know, you just like are, like I said, you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, there was another sweet thing that happened in the, the, the scan itself was because of all these appointments, like, and to your point of like, just caring about the really big picture and not the small stuff. I had never heard the baby's heartbeat because it just didn't feel that important. As long as someone said that the heartbeat was good, you know, I'd see it on the screen and the tech would say it's 130 or 140 and it's good. Like that's all that mattered to me. So like that extra fluff of like, ooh, let's listen to the heartbeat. Just like, I don't know. Like I lost all of this, which is sad, you know, like I lost all of this like innocent excitement for some of these moments. And I just wanted to know the baby was healthy, but Michaela probably was confused, you know, like we haven't heard the baby's heartbeat. And, you know, she was so sweet. I'll always remember this. She's like, you know, she's like pretty much asked, she's like, let's play the heartbeat for Tara. And it was after we kind of knew everything was okay. So it was the first moment that I could really enjoy that, you know, extra special treat of pregnancy. And they played the baby's heartbeat. And and later Michaela was like secretly videoing me because obviously I think the heartbeat, all of it is just a lot. I mean, I was just like pouring tears. Um and, you know, I'll remember that moment, but I also just remember like, please let this scan be over. Like, cause it takes a long time. And I was like, please just, okay, we got through this. It Like he, he looks okay. Like, let's just, just get me out of this appointment and tell me everything's okay. Yeah. You know, and after that, just speaking of sort of the little things that you had let go of a little bit, 
we did and you did start doing some stuff though that was kind of fun. Like you'd send voice memos of your voice mm-hmm. and have Michaela play them for the baby, which is so silly, yes. but fun kind of. Yeah, I would I would talk I would talk to our baby and um and she, and this is again like Michaela is just a unicorn and an angel and all of the things wrapped in one because like you send that to someone, right? And then you think oh, maybe they'll play it like once or twice, you know, a month or something, right? Like I didn't know. But then, you know, after a while I sent her another one because I was like, I'll just mix it up. And she's like, oh, like, and I was like, just, you know, so you don't have to hear the same one. And she's like, oh, that's great. I play it. I play it to my belly every single night. Like she, she did it every night. Like, you know, I never expected <laughs> someone to do that. It's just, it's just those moments that really bonded us. And it, we were like a team, yeah. like, you know. You do become a team when you, you know, are working that intimately with a surrogate. You're like, you know, weird, like work friends, but in a more, way more intimate, intimate way. way. Yeah, but we are, we're like making appointments together. I'm sending her, her, you know, vitamins. We're talking every day and- it is. We're we're like in this together for this this one goal. And it's so I just never thought that this relationship could be so magical. Like in the beginning, I thought, oh, this is great, good match. This is like what I would say to people that are worried about surrogacy is like, it may be even better than you imagine. Like having this connection with another woman during this process is really, really fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. So it's obvious from what you're saying that you were in a certain sense really enjoying the surrogacy relationship, certainly, but the process too. Um, we have talked about in the last, I think now two or three episodes, this kind of like seesawing thing of like, okay, like let's start, you know, kind of investigating a surrogate because may I still want to carry, but we're not sure we have this immune issue and the septum needs to get cleared out. And it was always kind of this backup thing. Then after the immune thing, it was more like, okay, we got to get a surrogate, but yes, I still want to maybe try, I can do like a treatment for the immune issue. It'd be great to maybe simultaneously mm-hmm. like try to get pregnant, like with Michaela. And then that was our plan Two kids like more quickly. And you know, the Irish twins sort of thing. It felt like, at some point along the way, like early in Michaela's pregnancy, that just like wasn't talked about anymore. And to be honest, I just didn't, I don't know why I haven't really thought hard about this. I kind of didn't bring it up. I think just things were going well. Like there hadn't been complications with Michaela's pregnancy um, and fingers crossed there still aren't. Um, But you just kind of stopped talking about the caring part of it. So like, do you know why? So this is going to be weird to talk about because I'm still like very, you know, this is, present day kind of dealing with these thoughts and emotions every day of not knowing how I feel. Um, You know, I think that, A, I was probably worried what the surrogacy journey was going to be like and what happens if I was that person that was like, I don't feel a connection. I don't feel great about this. I'm freaking out, you know, then I think getting pregnant or trying to get pregnant on my own would have you know, been a much more urgent desire. So I think there's like a couple parts to it that I I just 
love this surrogacy journey, which is just so insane. Because if you just asked me four years ago, you would be like, are you Tara? Well, that's the reason why we we added some time onto our journey, right. honestly, is because you were like, I want, I have to be pregnant. Right. Like, yeah. And I, I don't know how I could become this completely opposite version of myself, but I did. And I freaking love this journey with Michaela. So that's part of it. And then the second part, I don't understand really. Like I wanted to be pregnant so badly. Like I would have given up anything to experience pregnancy. And I just don't know why I don't right now want to do it. I think I mean, I do, I think. Why? I think you're scared of, I think you're horrified of like scan, like something going wrong, the scans, the trauma, like going through that again. I think at a certain point when Michaela's things were going well and you were enjoying the process even a little bit, I think the getting pregnant part just seemed to, you know, go to the back burner very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm like, I'm still struggling with trying to understand how I could flip flop so quickly and you know usually I just was on top of it trying to get pregnant again as soon as I could and figure out a problem and it's just like I find myself just I just don't have the urge to do it and I just think it comes down to like and I think even seeing this surrogacy pregnancy like it's been magical with Michaela but again it's like I just bottom line, want a healthy baby. So the whole idea of pregnancy and this notion of what I thought it was going to be like, I think I just know for me, it would never be that. I would never enjoy it in the way that I would want to or I ever imagined. And I think, you know, if I'm being honest with myself, probably after the second miscarriage, I probably knew that. I probably knew that I was never going to truly enjoy it like I had always dreamed of, but I just kept going and thinking that I would. And I think it's just like confirmation after confirmation for me that, yeah, infertility stole this from me. It just, I would never be able to, unless you like erased my mind, be able to enjoy a pregnancy. Which is weird though, because you did hang on to it for so long. And I, I wonder if, and I, I don't want to like talk about like, I know anything about anyone else's journey other than our own, but I wonder your take on, do you think women who go, women and couples who go through these IVF journeys, especially these long ones, and then get it in their head, like, oh my gosh, this is like what I want. I have to carry a baby. I think at a certain point you just, that was your thinking. Like I'm, I want a baby so badly. I'm going to win at this. I'm going to be pregnant. That like, the notion of what being what being pregnant is like is like completely romanticized to the point where it's like, yeah, I mean, I understand why women, some women love being right. pregnant. You have a belly and it's yeah. kicking and you have a connection. But right. like, I think you got some sort of twisted notion yeah. in your head of like what it was going to be and you couldn't give it up. Uh, yeah, I don't think I could give it up. And I think that, you know. But maybe maybe it was also some something about like, it would kind of erase the the trauma that you had in some way yeah. too. 
See, I mean, I feel like we're talking it through now because like I truly don't know exactly why. And I think there's probably so many reasons that go into it. But I think it's also like what I was talking about like earlier of like just the bottom line that four years ago, I didn't quite get when I started this. Like the person I was then is so different than who I am now and things that mattered to me then just don't matter to me now. Well, yeah. So what, I mean, not to like take this massively, you know, 30,000 foot view of all this, but like, what have you learned now about this specific issue? Like just, you know, having a baby in our arms a healthy baby in our arms is all that truly matters to me. None of the how it gets here, none of what happens, none of pregnant, nothing, nothing to me matters. Cause I feel like I realized I got to so many points where we thought that it just may never happen. Like there may never be a child in our home so like all these little things like just don't matter. It's like, you know, even now thinking ahead to birth or a birth plan or like whatever it is, I do like there's no like, you know, connection to any of it other than like, I don't care about any of it. Yeah, you just quickly- I just want a healthy baby. Yeah, you quickly realize what is important because it, you know, even thinking about like, gosh, I hate to even just say this, but people who are so unfortunate to have to go through like a stillbirth or something, do you think those people in the hospital, like when they're going home empty-handed are like giving two shits about like, again, not to like go back to our thing, but like playing Dave Matthews for their kid or like right. the kicks or the connection I have or right. the, like whatever the fuck. Like right. they do not care about that. Right. About like, all the romantic, you know, things about gender reveals and being pregnant and what it feels like. And I'm, again, I'm not like diminishing that connection that women have when they're pregnant, but like ultimately it doesn't matter. I it mean, really it's, doesn't. It's, it's amazing, right? And like I said, if you're just innocently going through this, it's it's amazing, but to your point, there are so many, you know, and I see stories, so many women and couples that walk out of a hospital after, you know, a 38, 39 week stillbirth. And like, to your point, do you think like if they had a choice, if, you know, God or the universe was giving them a choice of like, you were pregnant for, you know, nine months and you were able to feel those kicks and you played Dave Matthews to your belly or you can take home you know, a live breathing baby today. Yeah. Like what, what is important? And I think that's just like where my whole mentality changed over this process. Cause in the beginning, those things were important to me. I was like, no, I want it all. <laughs> you know, I want all of it. And then you quickly realize like through trauma, like, like I said, unless they erased my brain and, and I became a robot that forgot everything that happened to me, like, there was just some sad facts of the reality of our situation. So the pregnancy with the surrogates obviously going well, um, just in terms of telling people like we had still kind of, I mean, it's weird. I have like, I'll think of certain friends that I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't like told them, right? which is weird. Or like, oh my gosh, a work person who I work with all the time. I just haven't mentioned that like we're pregnant by a surrogate. And you know, you had 
for little parts of the journey, like when you had your endometriosis surgery, you like posted on Instagram about it, but you obviously didn't post that we were pregnant and you, you know, both of us, I don't think told that many people. We like, really didn't. Why? Well, cause I'm scared and I'm still scared right now. Like I, before we started here, what were we talking about? I'm like, I feel like I just can't get it off of my mind. Like, is it all going to be okay? And I think, you know, even my close friends, obviously they knew, but it's funny. I'm sure if you ask them, like I prefaced or said every conversation, like whether they were asking about, am I getting excited about something? Am I buying anything? Like it would be like, I just, you know, just taking it one, like that was my thing. I'm just taking it one day at a time. And hopefully this will turn out to be a successful you know, pregnancy. Like, like the really annoying uh, athlete post-game interview yes. when they say one game at a time. Yeah, I just had to answer that way because I'm scared and I don't know if everything's going to be okay and I don't feel comfortable just saying, yeah, I'm buying things or everything's okay. And, I, you know, even now, it, like it took me a long time to buy something because I just was like waiting. Well, yeah. And to be fair, there were a couple little hiccups. Like recently, actually, Michaela had like a little scare where she started bleeding and actually called us and said she was going to the emergency room, which you, I think we got snapped back a few times into this like, oh gosh, like could something go wrong or the the sort of PTSD anxiety that we got so used to. Yeah. I, I think what's interesting is like, obviously up until the heartbeat scan was like so nerve wracking. And then like to the 20 week scan, it was like, you're not going to really breathe e easy. And then after that, I started to like, I couldn't tell anyone this, but I, I started to believe like this could happen. But again, like I can't explain to you how surreal it is to get good news and not believe it. Like I, I would say to myself, like, this is happening, but I don't know if I actually believed it. I don't even know if that makes sense, but that's how I felt. But then this happened and I realized that after that 20 week scan, I definitely started to like relax a little bit more into trusting it was happening. And then I was like, oh, here it is. Here it is. Like this is, of course, of course this is going to happen. And, you know, I am so grateful. Michaela is so on top of things. The moment she, so she's, she started, you know, bleeding. And the moment that it happened, she was like, I laid down for a little bit. I went back in. It was still there. It was more. And it wasn't even like she called me to tell me, like she's so on top of it. Didn't even call me to ask what to do or go to, I mean, many people could have been like, oh, I'm bleeding a little bit. I'll go to sleep and see how it is in the morning. Like that would have been my biggest fear. And instead she called me when she was already at the emergency room because she like took the steps to be like, get me in the car, let's get to the ER and find out what's happening. And it was just such a relief to know that I had someone like so responsible um, taking care of our little baby. Um, but yeah, it was terrifying. It was like a 12 a.m. call and I was just thinking like, oh my God, is this, is this it? Yeah. And I think that incident kind of just proves what we've been talking about with just letting go of certain things in pregnancy and certain things about pregnancy not really being that important and other things being very important. And that's that like this incident reminded you that what's hard about surrogacy is that 
we weren't there with her when she started bleeding and you have to just trust that this person is responsible and will go to the hospital. And, and just the fact that you're just not in control of that right. situation. It's another person with your child inside of them figuring out how to deal with yeah. any number of issues. Yeah. So it's about that. It's not about like, oh, am I going to like, I don't get to feel the kicks or, no, I, yeah, you know, exactly. again, you're snapped back into this world of like, okay, like, and I think we got like lullabied almost weirdly into the other world where you were like sending Dave Matthews yeah, songs yeah. and like sending voice memos and that's great and important. But then again, you get snapped Snap back, back into in. the like, oh no, it's actually, what's hard about surrogacy isn't the no Dave Matthews. It's the like not having control over like a hospital visit. A hundred percent. And you were sort of up all night, I remember. Yeah. Well, because then I was like calling all of the doctors and wanting to really find out because, you know, this was just the ER, you know, and we we needed to find out what was going on. And, you know, it it, it was a little confusing, could have been a UTI, but then they did a culture and it wasn't. But yeah, I mean, it ended up being it, a benign. It issue. was. Yeah, it, it kind of stopped and it was it was fine. But I think like you said, it just sort of snapped us back into like anything can happen at any time. And we actually like started to your point of enjoying life, like this, these past few months, we've been like having people over that we haven't seen in four years and, you know, reconnecting with the world and friends and like really just like living a little bit. And we had a barbecue and I was so happy and, you know, obviously close friends. So they, they knew, you know, and I remember at the dinner table, we were like discussing names and possible names. And then just to go upstairs and be like, laying in bed where your your mind actually wasn't thinking about the trauma and then just boom, like, oh, don't rest too easy. Yeah. So as you probably gathered from just even this podcast, like we're fairly deep into this pregnancy. Have you allowed yourself yet to think about what that kind of delivery day is going to be like in the birth? You know, it's it's interesting because it's like maybe afterwards I'll have a totally different idea of it. Cause part of me is like, Oh, I just want it to be so magical. And, you know, you know, again, the romanticized version of what it's going to be. And to be honest, it's like, I don't know, like if we could just pick up the healthy baby <laughs> somewhere and just like know that everything's going to be okay. And it's, it's not this, you know, process where I'm going to be like, Oh my God, is, is the baby okay? And like, and then is it going to cry and is like watching them hold the baby and is it okay? Are they going to rush the baby away? Like, you know, you know, is the baby, you know, going to like, I just want the baby to be alive. You know, like I'm so terrified of, you know, like just I just want the baby to be here safe and it's like even now it's just like I wish I could just I mean I've asked the doctor but like can we just take the baby out like I just like we've made it so far and I'm so just ready for like this next part um the thing that gives me a little comfort is that like Michaela will be there and like you know, like I trust her. I trust, you know, how this baby's been growing in her body. And like that gives me like relief. I just want this baby to be healthy. 
Thanks for listening to Unexpecting the Podcast. Please subscribe, leave a review, and follow Unexpecting Pod on Instagram for info about upcoming weekly episode releases. 